Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Who of you would love to land in a new exciting role, even though you know you may not meet the criteria 100%, but you still feel there is something to that role and you can do it. You can learn while being on the job and you can get there. And you feel the twinkling in your hands and your fingers the excitement in your tummy and you're like, oh, I want to go for it. But then there is this doubt and you feel not quite ready for it yet. Is that an experience you have ever had? I definitely did, um, I tell you, on multiple occasions. Who of you would like to get more for the work you're doing, i.e. earn a higher salary or have an overall better package? And again, there's something holding you back from asking for it. Anybody out there who feels this way? Again, I'm pretty sure I have not been alone in this situation. Well, then I have the right guest for you here today, and her name is Claudia Miller, and she's a sought-after career coach, and she's helped her clients land super-fulfilling jobs in less than 90 days, all while getting on average a 54% in salary increases. And that's in between thirty dollars to $140,000. And during this episode today, she's going to share some of those success stories. And you know what? She's so generous. She also decided to share here quite a few of those tools and methods that you can try right away when you stop listening to the episode. So you have to stay on, obviously, until the end because the meaty stuff is coming a little bit later. But if you are curious about those steps you can take to believe in yourself, to go for that role that seemed so far away early on and to earn what you really deserve, well, then this is the episode for you. Claudia also partners with companies and organizations in identifying rising stars within their organizations and providing strategic insights and support in developing a leadership and talent pipeline with a focus on women and women of color. And due to her efforts, she's worked with top Fortune 500 clients and has been featured multiple times in Forbes and MSNBC, Thrive Global and Business Insider. And that put her in their top global list of top innovative career coaches. Well, get to know Claudia here on the show, hear about her own very personal story that led her to where she is today. And let us know by the end of the episode by sharing through email cmc at kathleenmarklecoaching.com what you made of it. But most importantly, what steps have you taken right away in order to get that salary increase or in order to land that also desired role. Enjoy this episode and speak to you in a moment. Welcome, Claudia. Hi, Kathleen. I'm so excited to be here and especially about some of the topics we're going to be talking about today. 
Oh, yes. And you know what? It has been my first week back after holiday. I think it's been the same for you. And every day a career-related topic comes up. People saying, I lost my mojo. I don't know how to get it back. Is that even the right role for me? Worthiness in terms of, you know, I deserve more in terms of salary and so on. Guilt of taking time off. Is it the right environment? And so on and so forth. And here we are talking about careers and how to find and identify this and land this amazing role that actually pays what you deserve. So you come at the right time into the session, basically. Yeah. And especially what we've been hearing about the media, layoffs happening, you know, left and right. That's all you see. And watching it on social media, watching the news, everyone talking about it kind of just creates like this damper mood around, especially if you're a job seeker wondering, am I even going to be able to get a job during this market? And one of the detrimental outcomes of that, and I had a coaching session this morning with someone in a big tech company, and she basically said, there's chaos all around me. I get chaos. However, it impacts me, my purpose, my motivation, my happiness. But I don't want to make a big part of it because I don't like to be laid off. So this underlying fear nervousness about am I going to be the next that's holding people back from speaking up and actually sharing what's truly going on for them and it impacts their mental well-being and I think that's a very dangerous vicious cycle you can step in yeah it's almost like walking on eggshells you're wondering I have to do great work or am I next are they going to do another round of layoffs and there's companies that have already been doing three four rounds of layoffs and they're wondering Mm -hmm. are there more and Mm -hmm. My team, half of them have been laid off. I am being overworked. But if I complain, am I going to be next? And these, when are these roles going to be filled up again? And should I be leaving? And what if I go to another company that's doing layoffs? And like you just go into a rabbit hole of just negative thoughts and questions you're asking yourself and armed with what the media is saying, it kind of just makes people feel like they're helpless, they're powerless, that like they can't do anything about it. But that is way far from the truth, and especially from what my clients have been experiencing. So, and it's not just that your clients have been experiencing some really positive and optimistic um, situations and stories, and they took the career into their own hands, which we are going to talk about in more detail. But it's it's like you have overcome certain challenges as well because usually the path to become a career coach or consultant is based on our own experiences and it has been obviously similar to you and I'm very curious to hear about your story your path and where all these experiences the knowledge and the positivity literally comes from yeah well um, I consider myself to be a very ambitious person I am the typical a student national honor society first in class always volunteering so yes I am that person and I did everything that you know you're always told to do get good grades and participate in school and extracurricular activities do some internships and so on and so forth and I did it all so when I was you know leaving college or about to graduate from university, all I expected was, well, I did everything and I'm a great student. So all the readers are just going to be pouring in and I'm going to decide which one I want. And they're all going to be competing for me. And that is far from the truth. I actually only had one interview. Um, they ended up hiring me, but I almost felt 
helpless, ashamed, embarrassed, and just so many things going on of like, I was just confused. I'm like, what do you mean? I only have one interview. I done everything everyone tells me to do. And I came from humble beginnings. So I'm the first one in my family to graduate from high school, let alone college and going to work in corporate. So I really had to navigate this all on my own. And it's not like I had someone that I could tap into like my network or my parents can help me. So really I had to figure out like, clearly I didn't learn the skill set at home and I didn't learn it in school. So I need to figure out how can I learn this? How can I learn to advance in my career? Because I don't ever want to be in this situation. I never want to be in a situation where I only had one interview and I'm praying to all the gods out there to say, please hire me because this is the only chance that I have. So I knew that I needed to figure out this other portion where, you know, I, I, and I had to be resourceful because again, I didn't have anyone growing up that can teach me or learn about this. And even up to now, like some people I know that, you know, have been working for years in corporate, still don't know a lot of these um, different types of advice and strategies that go along with it. And I was right there. So that's when I really made a commitment to myself to say, I need to figure this out. If I really do want to advance in my career, I have to figure out, I have to be resourceful because right now I don't have anyone that can help me. So I have to help myself. And, you know, fast forward, um, since then, I've been able to pivot from finance to education, to hospital um, in healthcare, to tech um, insurance companies. And I've been able to make that pivot every single time with at least a $30,000 salary increase. And the best part about it is I probably only qualified 20, 30% of that job description, still got the job, still got the salary increase, and I was still successful in the job. So just because I didn't have the experience before, it doesn't mean I didn't succeed. I actually succeeded very well where I kept getting get handpicked by the CEO to lead special projects because I had such great results. Amazing. And you know what? I, I have a Ryan for a moment just to say, I love it. And I applaud you for taking your career into your own hands. So many people, and I've been there too, would say, oh, you know what? I blame others for me not progressing and get into that um, cycle of the blame game instead of coming out of it and say, okay, what is it I can do? And it requires a lot of strength and a lot of cases support. And you saying, you know, I just go for it. Yes. Yes, girl, go for it. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. And I believe that, you know, at the end of the day, I like to focus on what I can control. I know we live you know, in a system and society that isn't always geared towards women excelling and, you know, moving into senior leadership roles and getting paid fairly. So I know that that exists, but, you know, there's so much I can do with that. But I try to spend more time on focusing what I can control. If this company won't promote me, I'm going to go promote myself and go to another company that does appreciate my skill set and is willing to pay fair market rates. I would like to get back to the mindset part of this to do that and, and to feel absolutely cool about it and to believe that someone else is definitely going to appreciate your skill set. However, you mentioned something so useful. Now, I've mentioned it already on a variety of podcasts. So to the listeners out there, sorry to repeat it again. However, there are statistics out there that say women in comparison to men feel like they need to literally hit 200% of a job description before they would go for it. And I'm exaggerating ever so slightly here. <laughs> you just mentioned a number, was it 23%, 27%? 20 to 30%. Here we go. <laughs> 20 to 30% where you said, okay, I'm actually meeting those criteria. 
what gave you the confidence and the belief to go for it? And how did it pan out getting into the role then and perhaps acquiring along the way everything else? Well, it started because I used to do when I started my career, it was more like admin roles. And at some point I was like, I don't want to be an admin. I don't want to be an administrative assistant. I don't want to, I want to more towards operations. I want more strategy. I'm very visionary, futuristic. That's one of my strengths, but I kept finding myself in admin jobs. And I'm like, why is that? And then I realized that when I was looking for jobs, I kept looking at all the job postings and I'm like, well, I don't have experience in that. I don't have experience in that. And I kept applying for admin jobs. Therefore, I kept getting admin jobs. So it was just this vicious cycle. And then I kind of just stopped and said, all right, I'm done. I don't want to become an admin. I really want to continue moving in my career. I want to geared more towards operations and strategy. And then I started looking at job descriptions differently. Well, can I do this? Can this be learned? Now, I'm not saying to, you know, your listeners to say, well, go apply to become a physician because you need to be board certified. I mean, let's be realistic. But there are a lot of jobs out there that we can leverage and use a lot of these um, skill sets that are very transferable. And a great exercise I always tell people when I tell them, you know, you don't need to perfectly qualify for this job posting. And actually, if you do hit everything 100%, you are overqualified for this job. And probably the reason is that your job searching is because you're not feeling fulfilled anymore. You're not feeling challenged. You feel like you're stagnating in your career. You feel like you're falling behind. And if that's what you're feeling, why are you applying to jobs that you already are doing and are qualified for? You're going to find yourself in the same situation after three, four months, after like the buzz kind of goes down that you started a new job. And then you're going to be feeling in the same situation and you're going to start the job search all over again. So there needs to be a percentage. And I know that can be extreme around the 20, 30%. But if you're like, okay, Claudia, I don't think I can go that low, but let's go around 60% because that means that you have 40% to learn. That's what's going to get you motivated. That's when it's going to help you stay motivated in your career, really sharpen your skill sets. It'll help you um, really attain all these other maybe expertise that will allow you to continue moving in your career. So that's a really great rule of thumb. But I was just more of like, can I do this? Is this something I'm interested in? Is there more stuff that I like versus things I don't like? I don't I'm, I don't like very detail-oriented things. Like That's why I, don't, I would not be a good coder because then you have to go through all lines of code. I That is not my strength. My strength is strategy, vision, uh, motivation. Like That's what I do really well. So those are the things that I look for in a job description. And the exercise that I, I have, you know, your listeners, if they want to take is, Go look at the job description for the job you're doing now. How much of it does it match and how much has it grown since then? And even from since the pandemic happened, I know that some of my clients you know, that I've worked with, they told me I was hired for this role as soon as pandemic hit. You know, I used to manage events and experiences, and that's what we used to do a lot for creating lead generation. Well, once the pandemic hit and everything was shut down and locked down and there was no in-person meetings, their jobs completely 100% changed. They can't, they can do their role, but what they did is they had to pivot and a lot of their events were virtually, but that wasn't part of the job description. They never had experience virtually, but they could do it. And they actually did. And they were actually really great at it. So that's a quick exercise. If you're feeling like, I have to follow the job description. If so, then why is your responsibilities not matching the job description? And speaking of job description, by the way, 
How important are job descriptions in today's world? Uh, even a few years ago, I, I worked with a manager who completely challenged job descriptions, and I'm so grateful for it. He was like, our roles are going to change all the time with every new merger and acquisition. There is a new demand on you, and, and you've got to be more agile if you want to learn and grow. A job description can truly restrict you. And I got really bought into that thought and idea. And you just mentioned the pandemic and the pandemic that brought so many challenges, but also so many new opportunities, especially when it comes to workforce. Yeah. And, and that's a very convoluted way to express this question again. How important are job descriptions nowadays? I like to use job descriptions as a compass. You know, if you can look at a job description, they can kind of give you an overview of what the role might entail. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for example, if you're going to be in public relations, it's going to say, you know, you're going to have to find new opportunities for, you know, product, service, or company to be able to be uh, branded on grants, publications, podcast. I mean, that's just the gist. That's the foundation of it. Now, the skill sets are going to be very different and the requirements. You need 10 years experience. If I've already been proven to do this, why do I need the, the time? Like what? And then one of the things that one of the actions that I have my clients do, it's let's go and do our market research. And what I mean by market research is I have my clients reach out to the manager or director who's going to be, you know, overseeing this type of role. And we ask, what are the hardest skills to hire for? Based on this job description aside, what are the three hardest skills to hire for? What are like, what type of skill sets will make this job so much easier that you right now your team doesn't have and you wish they did and the job will be a lot easier or more successful or the department overall? What are the three hardest skills? And then start asking questions like that. And then even understanding of, can you tell me a little bit more? I know in the job description says 10 years. Is there a specific reason for that? Or overall, what are the top three main things you really are looking for in a public relations role? And then say, well, you know what? We say 10 years because we want someone to have already a network. Oh, so you don't necessarily need 10 years. We're just implying that because if you have 10 years, you have a network. Well, what if I have one or two years and I can still show you that I have a network well-versed? So that's really what they're trying to say. They just don't say it. So you don't need to have 10 years. You can have 10 years of experience and have very little networks or very um, relations you can leverage. But you can also have one or two years and really build up that portfolio or say, you know what? I don't have networks within here, but here's how I'm looking to strategize and network with them. And since then, I've been able already to connect with three to four people and so on and so forth. So it's really about encrypting the job description. They're trying to tell us something, but they're not very good at telling us what it is. (laughs) So sometimes we have to do our own research to figure out, all right, here's really what they're looking for and here's what they value the most. I read your key profile statement again on LinkedIn and I want to read it out to the listeners because I found it like, whoa, okay, why wouldn't you work with Claudia Miller? (laughs) Um, So here it is. I help women in tech land fulfilling senior leadership roles within 90 days or less while increasing their income by average 56%. Ooh, man, that's a promise. And if you put it there, you truly believe in it. And I would even say you deliver up on it. So tell us a little bit more about a what you are doing in your role on a day-to-day basis, why you are focusing in particular on tech, and how you land these amazing roles with this very 
by my using salary increase. So I like to focus in tech because I know that there's been a lot of growth. As we can see, we've been moving really fast, primarily within the tech industry, especially with AI, machine learning, and we're leveraging technology more than ever than we've ever had before. So when I looked at the data is more women have more degrees than men, yet there's very few women in tech. It's a very male-dominated industry, yet that's what's really going to propel where we move forward. That's going to dictate, that's going to disrupt industries overall, and that's really going to be the leader when it comes to a lot of things that are just overall and what we know on a day-to-day basis. And things have already been disrupted with like chat GPT and AI just in the last few weeks and months. So I wanted to focus on tech because it's going to be the disruptor. It will be the leading change that will create innovation. Why aren't women in those roles? Women should be in those roles when they have more degrees than men, yet they're not seen in those senior leadership roles. So that's why I really wanted to focus on in tech. And also it tends to pay very well. And I noticed that there's an even greater discrepancy when it comes to salary. This is kind of a quick example. Um, I had a client that was making $90,000 and oh, actually she started with $75,000. She was thinking, if I only got 90, I would be happy. The employer offered her 120. We already had done the research that says that should be paid around 150 plus bonus plus RSU. So it should have been total comp around 200 to 220. But because she was making 75, 120 looked really great to her. She took the job. Within six months, she's like, Claudia, I'm overworked. I'm burnt out. You were right. I shouldn't have taken this role. And I just found out that my colleagues are making a minimum 150 to 180 for the same role. And I do not like this job. <laughs> so again, just because it sounds like a great amount of salary, that doesn't mean there aren't, there isn't any more. And that's why I like tech because women believe, or sometimes in those roles is, well, this is just a great salary. It's a lot greater than what I'm making. I should just be happy with it. And my answer is no, we're going to, we're going to get paid what the market is paying. If the market is paying 180 and if it tends to be double your salary, so be it. That is just what we're we're working here as a business, we're mm-hmm. as a market. And a good analogy I like to use is if you were to buy a house for a hundred thousand, Kathleen, and now you're ready to sell it, and I'm willing to pay you three hundred thousand for that house, mm-hmm. are you gonna tell me, Claudia? No, I can't sell it to you for three hundred thousand. <laughs> I paid only a hundred thousand. Let me sell it to you for a hundred and twenty thousand. I think that's sure. fair. No way. If you're a homeowner, <laughs> there's no way you're gonna be doing that. You're going to say, yes, sold for 300000 That's the same thing we need to do with our salaries and what we're what the market is paying. We're not dictating what the market is paying. I'm just saying, if the market's willing to pay and sometimes double your salary, well, then that's what we're going to ask for. It's We're being fair. We're not being greedy. We're not asking for more. That is just what our counterparts and probably our male counterparts are making. So why can't we get paid the same for the same work we're going to be doing? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So for those listeners out there who say, I don't even know where to start and where to find those market information, apart from some job ads that might be transparent. Where can they start? The easiest, but hard way. I mean, I say because it's easy. I mean, once you have the resources and tools, it's easy. But if you don't have that, it's very hard. And here's what I have my clients do. I have them reach out to around five to eight people who tends to be in a role above or two levels above of what you're looking for. So let's just say you're looking for uh, applying, you're applying for a manager of software engineering. So you're going to reach out to a director or senior director of software engineering. And then people tend to be more honest about their salaries of what they used to make. 
-hmm. not how much they're currently making. People are usually not very comfortable with that. But if I were to say, can you tell me, you know, what is a true salary wage when it comes to a manager software engineer? I've looked at the data and it's just a huge salary discrepancy. Mm -hmm. Can you give me more of a realistic number, ideally within a $10,000 salary wage of what, you know, someone in a manager software engineer can expect to get paid? Then they'll say, well, back in the day when I used to be a soft manager of software engineering, or they might say, you know what, it's been a long time since I've been a manager of software engineering, but I can tell you how much we pay our teams. And this is more of a networking. This is not during a job interview. So I want to preface that. And then they'll say, well, you know what, you know, we pay for this role anywhere between 140 to 150, um, and usually it encompasses a 20% bonus. And on average, we give around 50 to $100,000 in RSUs. Great. What makes you offer a candidate 150 versus the 140? Oh, well, if they have this certification or they have the skill set or if they just ask for it. And the craziest part is, and I keep hearing this over and over again from recruiters and hiring managers, we expect the candidate to negotiate their salary. Therefore, we always stay in the lower and mid range so that when they negotiate, we still have a buffer within our budget to be able to give it to them. Yet very few people, and especially women, ask for that. And therefore, they, they walk away. They leave money on the table, more, like a lot of it. And as it starts compounding throughout their career, it becomes even bigger. So that's why I've had clients get up to $140,000 in additional earned income. I've had clients double their salary. I've had clients get over $75,000 in salary increases because that's how much they've been underpaid for so many years. And now that they're advancing to the next level, it becomes even greater. And yes, it looks like a big number, but that it shouldn't, it shouldn't have been that big of a number, but I need to make up for time. And that person needs to make up for time. And they're still, they can get back on track doing the right things. But if you want to know what the true salary range is, reach out to three to five people. Eventually you're going to start seeing a trend and then they're going to be able to tell you everything that should be part of the compensation. So that's the easiest way to do it. But I know it's, it can be a little bit hard of like, how do I identify these people? How can I connect with them? How do I even start the conversation? So those are things that I work with my clients and they get access to that uh, where they can do that very easily. I, I often wonder why is it that we as women well, a lot of us tend to just be very satisfied with the initial starting salary and we don't fight and negotiate because once we know we could have had more, the resentment kicks in, right? And also, I, I, I've been there myself where I received a really good salary and I thought, oh, that's amazing. But now I need to work my bum off literally 200% in order to be worthy of this until I learned I could have had literally double, right? And there's this guilt and I need to prove myself sensation that steps in as well on top of the resentment then perhaps. So coming back to the original question, why is it that we don't negotiate? Well, a big primary factor is mindset. And with mindset, I've, it encompasses fear, fear of sounding greedy, fear of them pulling back the job offer, you know, fear that you're going to not sound your best and you're not polished, or maybe you're going to sound awkward. I mean, there's so many things when it comes to mindset. And then also the part of, you know, people are going to say, you should just be grateful you have a job. Look at how many people got laid off. Look at how many companies are doing hiring freezes and you're going to negotiate your salary. Are you crazy? Just be grateful and take the job and be grateful and be happy with that. So there's people telling you this and or you yourself might be able to be telling yourself that. So mindset is, I would say, 60 to 75% of it. 
And then afterwards is, well, if I want to negotiate, how much should I be asking? I don't even know if this is good or am I being asking for too much? And, you know, how do I even ask for it? I've never negotiated my salary. So then it becomes the skill set portion. You actually don't have that skill set. And maybe you think, I'm I'm just happy with this amount. So it's a lot more than what I'm earning. Therefore, why, why rock the boat? Why ask for more? And it's interesting because yesterday I was doing a um, client experience call. So once my my clients, I call them graduate. Once they graduate, meaning they got their job, their salary and everything, we get on a call and I, ask, I like to ask them a little bit more of like how they're doing and also get a testimonial from them and also learning about how they're doing. Because sometimes they'll say, Claudia, right now I'm negotiating four or five offers. And one of the services I provide to my clients is they get mock salary negotiation sessions with me. So we practice as if we were negotiating our salary. I also give them a strategy and plan on how to create a plan A, B, and C, depending on where they come back and how we can ask for the rest to make sure we get the overall compensation. And she told me, so we've already worked on this. We practiced it and we worked on mindset. And she's like, Claudia, I received a $30,000 salary increase. And I was like, well, tell me how, how did it go? And she mentioned, she's like, well, first off, they gave me a really great offer. I literally even, I hesitated, like, should I even negotiate my salary? It's a really great offer. I didn't have experience in it. I I probably should probably qualify around 70% or so. And it was around using a big vendor that she's never worked in before. So she was already feeling like maybe I shouldn't be asking for this much, but she's like, because we've worked on it and I already have practice. I just said, all right, let's just go ahead and do it. What's the worst that can happen? And you said, if they do pull back the job offer, that means they're a really bad toxic company because what other things are they going to push against in that can stack in your career? So she asked for $50,000 more and they said, we can't do that. We'll just give you $30,000 more. <laughs> and, and it was, and by this time is I also give my clients scripts. So they literally are just reading along the script and she's like, I couldn't believe it. She's like, I got $30,000 more when I would have been so happy with what they initially offered. But she's like, thank you so much. And she's like, I'm happy that I asked for 50 because at least I got 30 because otherwise she's like, I might have only asked for five, 10 K more, not knowing that I still would have left money on the table. So that's a really prime experience of, or an example of mindset. We have worked on it and she had done that research, done that work. Then we worked on the skill set to really prepare for her to, in order to be able to do this. She also knew what she needed to be asking for. So when the time came, all of those things came together and yes, there's still fear. I mean, it's not like it's going to go away. She was still worried. She even hesitated, but she still put through and it added $30,000 into her bank account. Now imagine what she's going to be able to do with that money. Amazing. And I'm, I'm going to ask you a cheeky question now. Share, if you want to and can, one of those methods that are part of that script yeah, of the way you teach those negotiations. I'm not asking you to do the whole shebang, yeah. um, but one of it. I'll, I'll share part of it, but actually um, I'm sharing with your listeners my $10,000 word-for-word sound negotiation script that they can download for free. And that's the exact script my client just used. I should call it another $30,000 sound negotiation <laughs> script, but yes. I'll stay conservative and we'll say 10,000. <laughs> this is always the assumption that you already know the salary range. You know what to ask for. You also know how to pull your levers. So you know you need to learn how to leverage it. So here's a quick example of what I mean by that. 
if they're hired for this role, both internally and externally, one question you can ask is, what are some of the benefits of hiring someone externally versus internally? Then the answer they give you, you're going to use it to say why they need to hire you and why you're a great candidate. And especially coming from an external, externally from the company, that becomes your asset because they told you what it was. So you need to learn how to leverage it and be able to almost collect that ammo to be able to use it in your closing statement of why you're better than all the other candidates you're up against. In a nicer way, you're not going to say it like that, but here's why I'm the best candidate for this role. Here's why I'm confident. And based on our conversation, you mentioned A, B, and C. I know we can get there. So at this point, they're offering you salary. And it says, Kathleen, we want to offer you, just to make the numbers easier, we want to offer you, extend an offer for $100,000. And then you just say like, great. No, thank you so much. I'm excited about you know the possibility of joining you know Acme Company. Now, when it comes to salary, um, I was actually looking for a salary around $130,000 based on what you know, the role is and roles and responsibilities that we discussed. Is there any way we can close that gap? Just stay quiet. It's not like, give me more. It's just, how can we close that gap? Mm-hmm. And when you say it like that, now they feel like, hey, this is a teamwork effort. They're not saying like, it's you against them. It becomes like, how can we close? And the question becomes, yes, how can we close it versus should I get it or not? Yeah. Does it become, can I get this? It's mm. how can we close this gap? And now they're thinking, all right, can we, can we give her a sign-on bonus? Can we increase her pay, her base? Can we give her more um, bonus based on performance? Can we give her more RSUs? So it changes what they think about. They're not, you're not asking, can I get more or can I get an increase? It becomes, how can we close this gap? So immediately their perception changes to more solution focus and thinking, okay, here are the things that we can do as a company. And it also gives them the autonomy to say, because every company has a preference. Some companies would rather just say, can we just give you a sign-on bonus and with the difference and be done with it? Others might say, well, we can give you maybe five, ten thousand dollars more in your salary, but we can't give you the third. But we can give you more RSUs and maybe instead of 10% bonus based on performance, we can increase that to 20%. So again, there's many ways you can slice and dice it. So that's why I always like my clients to have plan A, B, and C, because they might just say, what do you have in mind, Kathleen? We can't give you that 30000 salary increase in base, but what do you have in mind? And that's when you need to be ready and prepared and make sure that you're asking for things that the company is already offering. Mm-hmm. You don't want to say, I want to have you know, three weeks of PTO when the company offers unlimited. <laughs> so you want to be strategic when it comes to those things, but that's just like a quick way. And then in the script, I also include like, well, what if they say they can't because of budget? Well, the next portion of the script will be um, in the 10,000 word for sign negotiation script that's free to your listeners if they want to download. Brilliant. Fantastic. And for me as a leadership and, and mindset coach, the, the one thing that really resonated uh, out of all of this is the position we put ourselves in right away because so often it's about my god I need to ask for permission I need to make sure I get that and we become children again you know asking our parents as to whether it would perhaps be possible this is an adult to adult conversation we open up a really lovely dialogue actually but it's about hey let's have a chat about it yeah you know in a grown-up manner how can we get there and the question how opens up for so much opportunity, really. And the crazy part is this is a five, 10 minute conversation. Yeah. I mean, my client said it took her, it took them five minutes. They said, let me see what we can do. Came back an hour later, said we can give you $30,000 more. Five minute conversation. 
$30,000. It's definitely worth it. And I always like to tell people negotiation is part of the process, just like signing your offer letter, just like them sending over the benefits package and rolling in, you know, their healthcare vision, all these other benefits that come with it. Negotiation is part of it. And they anticipate negotiation. That's why they tend to not give the upper end of that salary range. And I was reading a stat run by Pesca where it said like around 77% of candidates that ask for the raise, get the raise or get the salary. Yeah. So data is already on our side. People are already expecting it. And I already know that there's money, especially if you're a woman, we already know like right now we actually went back. It used to be 82 cents on the dollar. Now we're getting paid around 78 cents on the dollar. So I always like to say, well, let's bake the 30% in and let's ask for it. If they don't give it to us, we're going to ask for it. So asking for that amount of money, because we already know that our white male counterparts are getting paid that. So why shouldn't we? It's not like we're doing any less work. We're doing all the work. So let's ask for it. And it's just all of a sudden you're preparing and changing your mindset around it. There's not fears around it. They expect me to do it. And if you don't do it sometimes, or especially if you're in a senior leadership role, you're not negotiating your salary, it becomes almost like a red flag. Whereas you're not negotiating your salary and you're a manager director, you can't have these conversations. How are you going to do when your employees start negotiating your salary? You should be able to do it for yourself. And also if you're managing contracts, you're not negotiating for yourself. How do I know you're not negotiating on behalf of the company? So negotiating your salary and being able to do it the right way is a great competence trigger to also show like you can be trustworthy. You can have these conversations in an adult manner and very nonchalant. Like the way I said, it's not like, give me more Kathleen. It's more like, Hey, how can we close this gap? And then if they rebuttal, that's when you want to pull in that ammo from those conversations, that interview, that research you did to say, you know, based on a conversation, here's the value that I bring. And then Usually they have to, they already have a budget. And if they don't, they have to ask the hiring manager and the hiring manager also knows because you've explained it during the interview of why they need to hire you and why you're the best candidate for this role. And they'll say, yes, we'll, we'll give them, we'll give that salary increase or they'll ask their higher ups and then they can advocate in your behalf because you did such a great way advocating for yourself. Then now they can use that to be able to sell to their higher ups to say, we really need to hire Kathleen. She's the best. And she has this that no one of the other candidates had. She's by far the best one. Like second option doesn't even come close to her. Like Absolutely. we need to hire her. And that's when they'll say, all right, she's asking for an extra $30,000. We have more in budget spent for toilet paper at this point for all our offices. Yes, give it to her. Um, <laughs> and as, Sorry to interrupt, but as you said earlier, we know what the hiring costs are. If you get someone externally, you go far beyond those 30 grand, especially for senior leadership roles. Well, and as to whether they, you have the right person, and then if you think about the training period and so on, it's the other question. Mm -hmm. Well, when companies have a hard time recruiting for a role, they hire external recruiters and they pay the external recruiters anywhere between 10 to 20 percent of the salary. Doesn't come out of your pocket. But if I'm hiring for a hundred thousand dollar job, that recruiting company, they're paying one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, hundred thousand for the candidate plus the twenty thousand for the fees. So they're paying one hundred and twenty thousand dollars right there off the bat. And if that person leaves and is not qualified, they're going to have to pay another 120 or the, an extra 20,000 every single time that they're trying to hire for that role. So you asking for that 30, even $50,000 more, it's not too absurd. They pay that for recruiting companies when it's hard to find talent, especially. And like I said, you can put yourself in that position by asking the right questions 
And all of a sudden, naturally, you're already seen as a top candidate. You become that sought after candidate. And that's when you have leverage. And that's when you get offered the higher end of that salary range. There's a bit of a pattern in the asking questions method. Um, I spoke to a few career orientated and career focused people, and everybody said, you've got to ask the right questions. It isn't anymore about you sitting in an interview and answering all the questions other people have. Again, it is a dialogue. It is about conversations, making other people think as well and show the value in the way you converse. So I'm, I'm delighted that you brought that up as well. Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash inner professional. You mentioned this study earlier on, and you, I believe, if I remember it correctly, you said 77% of the people who negotiated their salaries actually received a salary increase. Did it say anything about the remaining 23% why they didn't make it? No, it didn't say that, um, but there's also multiple factors. Um, this doesn't take account how great of a negotiator you are, how you're asking, how much you're asking, what type of roles, um, and like based on performance. I mean, there's many other variables around there, but, and I think that the more important fact is, I mean, and I've had clients actually where I had, I, where I can recollect one specific client, they, they were asking, it was only going to be around, I think, $10,000, more than what they were currently making base. Now, when it comes to commission, then it would have been a good hefty amount. But because it was a new product, a new line of business, there was no historical trend of, on average, our past you know employees have earned or hit 100% successfully. So there was a lot of if in there. So one of the things is, she was able to ask for that salary increase. And they told her, honestly, this is the most we can offer you. And she had the hiring manager call her telling her, this is the most we can offer. We actually have to pull from another department to be able to create this compensation package. Now, I'd be more than happy to, you know, go back to the situation and maybe we can recap. And she suggested, well, how about we meet instead of annual basis for my performance evaluation? How about we meet within six months? And then we can see how it is. And of course, it'll be based on how the work has been done, how much we've been able to sell and leverage all her networks and everything like that. But they were very uh, transparent about it. They said, honestly, we can't. This is the best we can do. Um, but we maybe we can work something out. And then that's when they created a plan to revisit this within six months. Six months later, obviously, she did a really great job. And then she was able to get that bump in pay and salary. And then afterwards, they even changed up like the figures when it comes to her commission um, for that. But there are times where companies would say, "I we can't at this moment do that. Um, and then uh, that's up to you. You have that decision. You can say, okay, can we work something out? Um, can we revisit this in six months and put it in writing? Or you can say, thank you. And then start job searching and go elsewhere and get, you know, pay an extra 20, 30, $50,000. But it becomes a decision. And I, 
it's easy to say, well, my job won't promote me. My job won't give me any more money. My job, this, this, and that. But at the end of the day, you are deciding to stay there. So you must be okay, or you're enabling that behavior. Because my philosophy is, if you won't promote me, I'm going to go promote myself. I cannot rely on my manager to promote me. I cannot rely on the person above me to leave or get promoted so I can fill in that position. So once I know that I'm ready, I'm going to go into that position. The question is, is it going to be here or is it going to be elsewhere? Because the question is not whether I'm not going to go in there. It's where it's going to be in that position. Mm -hmm. So getting now changing that mindset is now you have control of it. You need to make a decision about it. And my client really loved this company and they ended up still taking, it was still a good salary increase and afterwards ended up working out. But at times, there are times that they're going to say no, um, but then that's choice you need to make. And that's just overall like how that is. But again, she still got $15,000 more than what she had and ended up being a positive scenario. But again, she knew how to lead that conversation. She knew what she was asking for. And the company was very nice too, because they were being very transparent and they were being very um, almost vulnerable with having that conversation. And I mean, you made the fair point around, you know, she really loved working in this organization. It's obviously a bigger picture in terms of what is it you want from work? Is it solely about the salary, which for some people it is, right? The overall package. Or is it about the culture, the learning development aspects as well? The colleagues I hear quite often, well, I really like to work in this team. Great. But if you become resentful of the money and you can't let go of it, then something needs to be done. Yeah. And you've got to make that choice and the choice is in your hands. And then I usually get the, well, it's not that easy. I have a mortgage to pay and I have that and I have that. (laughs) So what, what would you say if you got or received this objection? Well, it depends. Like, do they currently have a job? Have been they laid off? Did they have enough money in their finances? I always like to advise. At the end of the day, it's my client's, you know, um, right to make their own decisions. And in this case, if they already had a job and this was the case, I would say, well, let's analyze this. Is this going to move forward in your career? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Is this still, it was still within market range, like the salary. It was still within market range. Um, They were looking and it was more of a lateral move because they were going from domestic to now encompassing a global aspect in their responsibilities, which will allow them to move up to the next step in their career. So we did this very strategic. So we knew it wasn't going to be like a hundred thousand dollars salary increase. But she still was able to get that salary increase she was um, getting. And then afterwards, it was going to give her that global experience. It was at a smaller company. So that way she had more autonomy. There was not going to be too many red tape to just get things done. Um, So it hit off a lot of the boxes. And then that's when, you know, I have them almost assess. Is this going to get you where you want to be? Because I have them create a customized career plan. So they know exactly how long they need to be in that role, what skills they need to acquire that will allow them to move on to the next step or the next role and what that salary range looks like and so on and so forth. So she only had to do this role for about three years, really, to get what she wanted. It still was within it. The commission, like I said, it was a little bit unknown because it had been a new um, line of service or yeah, a new line of service. So there was no historical trend. So three years and it still was, she was able to maintain that lifestyle. And after that, she was, um, afterwards, she's able to pivot and position herself for that next position. So it checked up a lot of those boxes for her. Now, 
not everyone has a situation. Maybe you're, you know, unemployed, or maybe you got laid off, and maybe you don't even get that nice severance package that you can spend, you know, nine months to a year job searching. And then it just comes to it, like, you know, one of the things I don't want my clients to be in is just having one job offer. Mm-hmm. Ideally, I want them to have multiple job offers so that way they can choose what works best for them. And the best way to have multiple job offers is to continually apply. So I like to say you need to keep your pipeline full when it comes to interviewing. What most people tend to do is they get an interview and they stop. Like, this might be the one. I have an interview. Let me practice for my interview. And they stop applying. And then, you know, they put their all of their eggs in one basket and they, you know, go through the interview process and they're trying to follow up and praying that, you know, hopefully they move to the next step in their, you know, in the job process or they get the job offer, but they just stop all activity. Whereas my clients, I have them continue building that pipeline and they say, well, I have this interview, but I'm also going to be applying. I'm going to be networking. And networking is probably one of the fastest ways to get interviews where I've had clients generate between three to seven interviews in a week. So they can say, I'm going to have this interview and I don't have time to apply to 10 jobs, but I do have an hour. And within an hour, I can connect with about 10, 15 people. So let me use this time effectively and let me connect with people. And those conversations lead to interviews. So if they lose this opportunity or the company does a hiring freeze or for whatever reason, they don't get the job, they still have four or five other interviews. It's like, oh, too bad it didn't work out. But now I have four or five interviews. So I need to focus and working on that. And then that's when if you continue having that pipeline full and you know how to interview and you've worked and done all the right things, that's when you start getting multiple job offers. And then you get to choose which one you want to go after. I started to smile about what you said because, in all honesty, it reminded me of dating in a positive sense. Yes. Uh, I, I, I don't know about everybody else listening, but I had a phase when I went on loads of dates in a week. Now, I'm not presenting myself as the go-to girl, right? But but I saw it as fun, as learning. And, and, I, and I wasn't going crazy about, oh, this is going to be the one. But like, let's meet different people and get to know them and perhaps, you know, we click on a friendship level, but I was curious about individuals more than ah, let's get married next year. That's yes. well, that was not the goal. And in all honesty, it was the majority of it was fun. There was not one conversation where I didn't learn something new about something or someone. And it made me feel good about feeling more at ease to go out there and to feel more confident in myself. And I compare it quite often to interviewing because um, I hear from um, my circle of friends fairly often, I don't want to go to this interview. I'm really nervous about it. Oh, my God. And we put ourselves into the space of a negative self-fulfilling prophecy where I'm so worried and so caught up about it that things may go wrong because this is what I literally see and visualize all the time. My panic is coming out. When I just bring in a sense of curiosity and I do it as often as possible, it starts to become second nature. Mm-hmm. And you do what you described earlier on, you ask questions, you have a great dialogue. And in, in best case, you land an amazing role. In worst case, hey, you've learned something about yourself, about an organization, what to do differently next time. And, and I think that there's real power in learning this kind of attitude and applying that more often. So now you may say to me, Kathy, this is BS. There's uh, so much more you need to do. But that was my experience. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. I job searching career is very similar to dating. And I always call it like one-itis. So when you're dating that one person, you put them on a pedestal and then you become needy. And then you're wondering, this person didn't message me. 
But when you have five, six people you're talking to, it's like, oh, I, okay, this person, I have four or five other ones and I only invest in how much you invest in me. Mm -hmm. So that was my approach when it came to dating. And same thing when it comes to job searching. And one of the things that I actually have my clients do to kind of your point when you said, oh, because it's anxiety driven, self-fulfilled prophecy, I 100% agree with that. But also like, so in order to combat that, I know that interviewing is not something we do on a regular basis. Sometimes we don't do it. And I've had clients that they haven't interviewed in 10 and sometimes 20 years, they just get promoted or they get put in places that acquisitions. So they keep going to these different roles. So it's been quite some time. So one of the things that I, I have them do is they prepare at least two to four weeks before they even start applying to jobs. I have a mock interview session with them. So we role play as if it's a real interview so they can get their practice in, but also assess their their body language and their answers. Is this a VP level answer or is this a director level answer? Or are we talking right now as a manager and where are you trying to head or what kind of jobs are you applying for? And I also rephrase that, Kathleen, the way you said this is great, but here's how better and especially more of a VP level approach. Here's how I would reframe this answer. So they know what it looks like and what it sounds like. And with that, now they know exactly. And I have everything recorded in transcript, so they can always go back to it. And they're practicing it. They're researching the companies. We're identifying, is this company financially healthy? And if not, we don't want them going there because I don't want them going through a layoff or be cut on their resources and be set up to fail. So there's a lot of things that are happening. I have to review company earnings call. We're going to know exactly what they're trying to achieve in the next 12 months and how they're doing and what are they promising to the investors and how your role is going to apply to that. This is just like a quick example. So they're preparing two to four weeks. So by the time they're interviewing, they've already researched this company. They know exactly. And they're probably already networked with someone within the company. We've already gained company insights. So they are well prepared once they get the interview because usually... When you get an interview, maybe you have two, three, maybe a week to prepare. Imagine trying to compete with someone that's already been prepared for four weeks. Yeah. It's just hard to compete with that. And those, those are the exact situations my clients are in. We've already done the research. They feel so comfortable. They've already been practicing their interviewing skills. By the time it comes there, they're, like, they're already confident. And they know exactly what they're going to ask for. They've done such well research that they ask questions that no one even they don't ask questions like can you tell me about culture can you tell me what the day-to-day looks like no we don't ask any of those questions we ask questions that are going to give us leverage and position us as the top candidate and therefore we will become the sought after you know candidate overall and we will get the higher end of that salary not knowing the company won't know that you just made a 50 80k salary increase and i'm still going to have you ask with an extra 20 dollars because why not <laughs> Oh, seriously, you have such a confidence and ease about you when talking about these things. We, we all gather our experience in our early careers first. And then hopefully we have someone like you on our side to help us now feel more confident in salary increase negotiations and all of these things. What was it for you? Um, I honestly think it's my upbringing. Like I said, I came from humble beginnings. So I actually, um, growing up when I was a child, I lived in a homeless shelter. I have an illness that has no cure. So I grew up a lot in the hospital in and out. So eventually I had to learn to stop focusing on what I can't control. And I have like, in order to feel control and power in my life, I have to say, well, what can I control? Because there's a lot of factors that I can't. So let's focus on what I can control because I didn't, I didn't grow up with much. I became very resourceful. So that's when I can say, 
you know, and one of the things that when it came to me understanding and kind of becoming of like, well, how can I get ahead in my career? I reached out to those people on Business Insider, you know, 25 year old that's making six figures. And I reached out to a lot of those people thinking that they're going to say, well, I came from an Ivy League degree and, you know, I have my parents and I have vast network. And what I kept hearing over and over again is just people like just try. Most people won't try, just try and get you ahead. And now I love this quote that says, do what others won't to achieve what others can't by Jerry Rice. And I love that quote because what I found in my research, I guess, is that you don't need to come from this pedigree. You don't need to come from this background, but you do need to do the work. And the work leads to the results. And if you're willing to do the work, the results will lead. And you're like, well, what kind of work do I do? Well, then that's when you research. That's part of the work to understand what that is in order to get those disproportionate results. And that's really where it stems from. It was just from my upbringing. And then, you know, I've been also working a lot of my mindset because then I had to almost rewrite my mindset when it came to money, because I was like, I mean, making $15 an hour, I should just be grateful. And I should, you know, if I make $20 an hour, I'll be rich. Um, so I've really invested a lot of working on my mindset to understand that how can I expand what I know? How can I expand my reality and not really uh, keeping myself small from what I've learned. Because like I said, at the time, if you were telling me at 15 years old that I was going to make 75K, I would say, oh my God, that's a lot of money. I'm rich. Whereas now is let's think bigger and let's let's get paid what the market is willing to pay for this type of quality of skill sets. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. And I guess that's work that you still have to put in as well on a regular basis, even though you do it with others all the time. It's still important that you check in with yourself on a regular basis to say how much is this work I'm doing worth and how am I worth or how much am I worth right yeah and I mean I would say there's a huge parallel between careers and business so when I started seeing really great results personally when it came to my career is I started my virtual admin business and through there I learned so many skill sets that eventually finally clicked. And I'm like, well, if this was successful in my business, I can use this for this career. I created a landing page for my business. Resume is a landing page. <laughs> so I started doing a lot of work on my business that led to the career. Once I started applying these business principles, because at the end of the day, you're being hired by businesses. Nonprofit is a business that's just a tax classification, 501c3. So you are looking to get hired out of business. Once you learn that in the business principles, that's when you start seeing the acceleration. That's when I started. I don't need to qualify 100%, but I know what you want as a business owner out of this position. And I'm going to show you and tell you how I'm going to help you get there and solve these problems that you're having. Which means you need to know the problems. You need to understand those pain points. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something earlier, an example of one of your clients who got to a higher salary level, even though it was different um, to her male uh, counterparts, and actually wasn't happy in her role. Actually worked her bum off as well and felt pretty exhausted. So what, what can individuals do when they notice the thing I wanted to achieve and that I eventually achieved actually doesn't fulfill me, doesn't feel right? Yeah. That's the time when you want to assess what isn't fulfilling you. Is it the responsibilities? Is it the challenge? Are you just not being challenged enough? Is it because you're at, you've been at the same company for 10, 20, 25 years and you're like, 
I want to learn something new. So it's really assessing what that is, because if you don't assess what that is, you're going to go to another job or another copyright department and then feel the same thing if you're having to deal with the same things. Mm -hmm. So where is this fulfillment or I'm not feeling challenged at work? What do you mean by that? Because we need to understand that what, what type of work do you actually enjoy and what type of work doesn't enjoy or just depletes you or you tend to procrastinate and you're just unhappy with what is that so that way we can now assess and we can find a job that encompasses more of the stuff that you love. Now, I'm not going to say you're going to get a job that's 100% everything you love. And if you do, great. But that's not the expectation. But I want my clients to move into a role where at least 75 to 80% of stuff doing that they love, they feel challenged. And of course, there's going to be that 10, 20% of just minutia, admin, probably things that we have to do that are, it's just part of the job, but at least it's not 80% of that and 20% things that you enjoy. So understanding that unfulfillment, where is it coming from? And sometimes when I get clients is they've been beat up. And like you said, I feel that your career is almost like a relationship. They have PTSD. They feel very low self-confident. They've been passed up for promotions. They've been told, no, they can't get salary increases. And in one situation, I had a client, you know, finally move on to a manager position, even though she had been doing it for three years, but with no pay and no salary and no title, finally moved into the role to later find out that her direct reports were making $50,000 more than her, even though she had been at the company for over 10 years. She's the one that trained them. And yet they were making $50,000 more than her. And she was a manager. So she just already had an increase. So imagine the discrepancy before then. And then those are kind of things like she was just beat up. She She's like, I don't even think maybe I'm not qualified to be a manager or director level. Maybe I need to pay my dues more. Maybe I need to get certified. Maybe I need to go back to school and get this MBA degree. And it's not a question about you. It's a question of your company did not know how to leverage you. They did not know. They didn't compensate you correctly. And it's like being in a very toxic relationship. Just because your partner wasn't good to you doesn't mean you're the bad person. That's a com- that's a partner thing. This is a company thing. So I need to really work on their confidence and their mindset because I want them to be able to find the right company. Don't expect for every company to be toxic. Don't expect every company to do that. But also learn that you also need to advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. You also enabled that activity because you kept staying there. Yeah. Let's change that and let's make sure that never, ever happens again. And we no longer leave money on the table. Yes. And uh, it is so much about mindset. And what what I keep noticing, and again, I actually had a conversation about it with someone today, is we we run the risk of getting so caught up about how other people don't show us the value, the appreciation we want. And the question, why don't they do that? Instead of, okay, how much are you actually communicating to others that that's what you need? Um, so be open, transparent about it. And again, adult to adult, but also how much of it are you offering yourself or are you finding yourself getting caught up in all the negativity all the time, right? And there are so many other questions to ask. So how much do you appreciate and value yourself? And therefore you are in a better place to assess, okay, and am I in the environment where I can truly lift this? Yeah, so it's super important. Claudia. Out of all the insights, amazing top tips that you have shared with us today, what's the one key piece of advice that you want to leave today's recording session with? 
Um, I want to go back to that quote because it and how it relates to careers. So it says, do what others won't to achieve what others can't. And one of the primary things of my success when it comes to business and in careers is pay attention to what other people are doing. And, like, and I've already talked about it throughout this conversation. What most people do when they get applied to jobs is they update their resume. They go apply to multiple jobs. I've had people say to me, I've been job searching for a year, applied to two, 300 applications. If I don't hear back, I just apply for more. Okay, so we know that happens. Once they do land an interview, they might have, if they're lucky enough, a week to prepare for this interview. And how do they prepare for an interview? Well, they might look at the company website. They might look up that person on LinkedIn. They'll review the job description. Maybe they'll do a quick Google search on companies. Great. So I already know what my competition is doing. How can I do more and do other things that are really going to move up the level that I know most people aren't doing? Most people are not reviewing company earnings call. Most people are not researching, um, you know, like the company insights or their competitors. Most people are not reaching out to that somebody within that company asking for company insights. Most people are not looking for or interviewing other directors in similar industries and asking, you know, what are the hardest skills to hire for? Those are the things that, so pay attention what other people do and say, how can I make it better? How can I outbeat them? And then that's when the game changes. That's when no one can come close to you. And that's how you can achieve other things that just won't because most people are not willing to do the work. That's why people are like, oh, you have great ideas, but great ideas without action is still an idea. People that take action, they get the results. They get to leave a legacy. They get books written about them. So again, pay attention to what people are doing and how we can add to that and make it better. And then that's where you're going to start getting results. That's where you're going to start skyrocketing on whatever it is, because that's what I do in my business. And it's what I used to do in my career. And this is what I teach my clients to do in careers on how to identify these trends. That way you can now beat the competition. Amazing. Makes so much sense. Do the work, basically. If you want that change, if you want that big money, Go and do the work. It will be worth it. And um, I don't want, oh, real quick, I don't no, want your listeners to think, well, I don't want to spend a year trying to you know, prepare for a job search. That's not what it is. You work smart, not hard. Because I've had people job search for over a year with 300 plus applications and going doing it over and over again. Whereas my clients, I actually had a client that I, the client testimony that got the 30K increase, she was only job searching for five weeks. I got a job. So it's not like it's going to take you a year or months. It's about the type of work that you're going to do that's really going to make a difference versus I'm just going to apply to jobs because that's easier to do and it takes a lot longer and has no results around it. But it's going to take me a year versus someone that does the right work and they can get a job within five weeks during this market where companies are laying off people, hiring freezes. She's able to get a job in five weeks and get a 30 pay increase. I guess it's an absolute no-brainer for uh, the listeners who are trying or do their best to get another job, to get this all-important salary increase, for example, to get in touch with you. I would highly recommend contact Claudia, let her know where you need support and work with her, basically. I think she has very much shown what she can do, how she does it. And again, I say it to you, I, I absolutely love your clarity. It's so pragmatic, so straightforward, and actually feels very much doable. So do let the listeners know where they can find you and how to get in touch with you. Yeah, they can go to my website, ClaudiaTMiller.com. Don't forget the T, ClaudiaTMiller.com. 
also on LinkedIn, uh, Claudia T. Miller. I also like to share a lot of free career advice in there. Um, and of course, feel free to message me or email me um, if you're interested in working together. We'll see if we're a good fit. I only take on clients that I know that I can help. I would say that. <laughs> how do you know? Mindset. Just how they, the way they talk about themselves. So if a person were to say, well, I can't get a job because of the economy. I can't get a job because I didn't get an Ivy League degree. Well, there's nothing I can do about that. Therefore, you already prophesized that you're not going to get the job. But if you were to say, I know that I, I just don't know how to apply to jobs. I don't know how to interview. I don't know how to sell myself. I can help the I. So I can help you get there. Um, and also what I look for, failure is not an option mentality. You've been successful before. Now, maybe at the company, you didn't get promoted, but you've shown your work. If you're willing to do the work, you will get the results. Are you willing to do the work? Yes, great. Failure is not an option. Great, because you're going to keep doing it until you get the success. And I'm going to build you the strategy. I'm going to build their support. And I'm going to be there to help you along the way. But those are the things that I look for. If you have that, promise you, you will land the job. You will get the salary increase. And you're going to be blown away of how much your conference is going to skyrocket after our session working together. So as you see, with organizations, it's the same. They are looking for the can-do attitude. Claudia is looking for that can-do attitude too. And um, as always, we are going to be publishing the links, freebies in the show notes too. But I can only recommend get in touch with Claudia and see if you are this perfect match. Claudia, there is just one thing to say, and that is thank you so, so much for your insights and for being you, for so making this amazing difference in the world out there helping women in tech become even more successful so thank you for thank you for being an amazing guest on the show thank you kathleen and of course um to all your listeners i know we shared a lot today so whatever you found most insightful most helpful more the you know best aha moments definitely share in the reviews because i know kathleen and i are always curious to know like what resonated with you the most what you found most helpful because it really helps us. Um, we're doing this because we want to help people. So we would love to hear from you as a listener of like what you found most helpful. And of course, leave a review and let us know how it's been going, especially if you applied some of these strategies. Thank you all so much for listening and have a wonderful remaining week. Uh, stay healthy and successful. Speak to you very soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.